0: Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you would, please take out your Bibles now and turn in them in the New Testament to the book of Philippians and the first chapter in the book of Philippians. If you don't have a Bible with you, there would be one under a chair in front of you. You could grab that Bible and turn in the back portion of it to page 154, and you would find yourself at Philippians chapter 1. There are a number of common sayings about prayer. And you've heard some of these. One of them is, prayer changes things. Here's another common saying, God answers knee-mail. I like that one. It's very creative. And here's another one. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. And then one other final saying about prayer, the greatest gift we can give to others is our prayers. Now I want you to just ponder those sayings for just a moment and then I want you to ask yourself the question, do we believe that about prayer? Do we believe that prayer changes things? Do we believe that God answers an email? Do we believe that prayer moves the hand that moves the world? And do we believe the greatest gift we can give to others is our prayers? If we do believe those things about prayer, it will influence the way that we pray for other people. Today, we are continuing our series in the book of Philippians that we have subtitled Spiritual Essentials for a Joyful Life. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't picked one up, we have copies of our outline of the book. But one of the things I find interesting is that several times in the New Testament, Paul says this. Basically, he says to other believers, Do what I do. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He says to other followers of Jesus, Do what I do. Right here in the book of Philippians, in chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Join in following my example. And as we have seen the opening verses of Philippians 1, we have seen that one of the things he did that he sets an example for us, is that he prayed for others. In fact, if you were here last week, part of our life response at the end of the message is that we would pray for others. Today, as we move deeper into these verses, we're going to learn how he prayed for others. And by examining his example and praying for others, I believe that we can fortify our own prayer life. And that's an exciting thing. Now let me give you today's plan. It basically falls into two parts. Number one, we're going to see Paul's connection with others. And then number two, we're going to see Paul's prayer priorities for others. So that's the plan of attack for today. Paul's connection with others and Paul's prayer priorities for others for others. And I would like to read from chapter 1, verses 7 to 11, and I would invite you to follow along in your Bible as I read these verses. Paul writes, and he says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, in some ways, this is a a hard passage to get a grip on, but I believe there's some wonderful gems for us in these verses. And so we want to begin by looking at Paul's connection with others. And we see that right there in verse 7 when he says, It's only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. The New Living Translation says, you have a special place in my heart. Really what he was saying to them is, we are deeply connected together. How does that happen? How do believers become deeply connected? connected together. Why would he say that? What was the catalyst that brought that about? Well, he really goes on to explain it all when he says in verse 7, Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. That word partakers is the word koinonia in the original language. Um, the NIV translates it share, for you share in grace with me. And the most common way that we use the word koinonia today uh, in the church at large is we translate it with the word fellowship. And so we like to talk about having fellowship together and we'll say, let's get together for some fellowship. Let's, let's have some snacks and let's have some fun and let's, let's hang out together as believers in Jesus Christ." But the the New Testament idea of koinonia, or fellowship, goes beyond food and friendship. It goes beyond having meals together and hanging together. And as we said last week, perhaps the best translation of the word koinonia might be the word partnership. And part of what he's saying is, I feel a connection with you because of the partnership that we've had in ministry. There's a connection because we have been immersed in ministry together. We have been serving side by side out there, ministering and representing Jesus Christ. And those of you who have been on short-term missions trips understand what that means, you know, where you go with a group of people and you're out there and you're immersed in ministry together and there's just this connection that happens. been hanging around with Phil Chain for some 18 years, and you know, Phil and I, there's a connection with Phil and I. And the reason why there's a connection with Phil and I is we've been out there. We've taken long van rides and, and talked on the way to remote villages to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've, we've hung out and talked about some of the Issues of the ministry and some of the struggles that are there. And so there's a connection that Phil and I have because we've been immersed in ministry together. Many of you know that I've been involved for a number of years in in ministry in Latvia, and there's a number of people there that I feel this incredible connection with. Why? Because we've been immersed in ministry together, and we've faced difficult situations, and even at times when we didn't even know what food we were going to eat and there's just a connection that happens when you're side-by-side in ministry with somebody. We just recently over the Valentine's weekend had the Better Together marriage seminar where some 550 people were there and there was a team of people who were involved in planning that and praying for that and executing that and bringing it about and we were just side-by-side serving together to make that become a reality and so there's a connection that's there. Some of those people I I hadn't worked with on that level before, and so you just feel this sense of connection because we were immersed in ministry together. You know, we're involved in our Pass It On initiative, which involves not only uh, increasing some of our staffing to children's ministry, but in developing a children's ministry facility and a building. And um, You know, when you go through that process and you're even serving in the whole aspect of planning of that facility and then watching it begin to happen. And many of you have given sacrificially to that. You know, because we've been immersed in ministry and side-by-side been serving, to see that be a reality, there's a certain connection that we feel. And one day when we get to see that as a reality and we begin to see children's lives being touched, we're just gonna have a tremendous sense of accomplishment, that connection that comes from being immersed in ministry together. And many of you work in our children's ministry And you're working with the kids down there. And when you're doing that, you're going to feel this sense of connection together. Because we believe that our children's ministry is just so much more than babysitting. And many churches view it that way. But we believe that in our children's ministry, literally, we are shaping the future leaders of the church. There's going to come a time when I am gone and you are gone. And we are not going to be here. And what is an amazing vision to have is to realize that the future leaders of Wildwood are down there. And so we've had uh, people like Marshall Bracken for decades now teaching five-year-olds. And part of what is motivating him and the others who are immersed in that ministry is just that fact. That's the future of Wildwood down there. And we want to be able to touch them with the gospel message and to be able to grow them in their faith and walk so as they grow older, they're more effective leaders. But you see, when you're involved in that kind of ministry and you're immersed in that and you're serving side by side, there's just a connection that goes on in all of that. And so if you really want to connect with other followers of Jesus Christ, get immersed in a ministry with them. Start serving with them side by side. And if you're, if you're not doing that, I just want you to know that you're missing a blessing. If it's just a case of, yeah, I come, I'm here on Sunday, and then I go home, you're missing a huge part of what the Christian life is supposed to be about and a huge part of the blessing of connecting deeply with other people. Notice verse 8, he says, For God is my witness how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Why does he say that? Because people matter. Christ died for people. And that's why when we talk about stacking up backpacks for Mexico missions over here by the cross, it's a reminder that people in Mexico, children matter. And, you know, we're talking about this children's ministry building, and, you know, our bids are out now. We're asking you to pray that they would come back as low as possible because we would love to be able to do some of the other things that are going to enhance the building. I'd love to be able to get all the theming that's on the drawing boards into this building. It will blow your mind. But when we talk about the children's building, it's not about the building. We're not doing this because we want to add 20,000 square feet we don't have enough to clean, you know That isn't the idea. The idea of it isn't that the building. It's the young lives, the children that are wet cement that we want to have come to know and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to, to know Christ and then to grow in Christ. That's what motivates us about that because people matter. I really love uh, I love can't use description of really what the church is, and this is just such a a great little quote. He says, We are a robust band of brothers and sisters in a quest for souls of the world. You know, I read that, and it literally gives me goosebumps. We are a robust band of brothers and sisters in a quest for the souls of the world. And men and women, when you have that spirit and you are immersed in ministry together, I guarantee you there will be connection. And that's what Paul is describing here. And he goes on to say in verse 8, I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. It's His affection that's coming through me to you. And so I want to ask you this question as we've looked at this whole idea of Paul's connection with others. And I want want you to really be honest with yourself for a moment. The question is this. Are you on the sidelines, or are you in the thick of ministry? And as I said, we love to have people come and attend a worship service on a Sunday morning. That's a good thing. But there's so much more to the Christian life than that. So first of all, we see in these verses Paul's connection with others. But there's some really exciting stuff here when we see Paul's prayer priorities for others. Remember what he said in verse 4? He talks about how always I'm offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. He was praying for other believers. But how is He praying for them? What does He pray for them? Now I want to just put everything on pause for a moment and I want, I want to ask another question. I want you to think about it for a moment. And that question is, how do we commonly pray for one another? As believers who pray for another believer, how do we commonly pray for one another? Well, we will often pray things like this, or we might say, you know, I have an interview coming up. Would you, would you pray for me? Or I have a test, a very difficult test coming up. W- would you pray for me as I take that test? Or maybe uh, I am sick and I would love to have you pray for me. Or. Um, I am facing a disease in my life and I would like you to pray for me. Or maybe I was injured and there was a, an accident, a, a car wreck, and I would love to have prayers for that. Or maybe there's a medical test, a significant medical test coming up and, and would, you, would you pray for me about that? Or maybe I need to, to buy a car and uh, it's always difficult to, to find a good deal in a car. Would you pray for me about that? Or maybe I've, I've lost my job or I, I need a new job. Would you pray for me about my job? Isn't that how we, we, we commonly pray for, for one another? Now, I want you to know, there's nothing wrong with praying for all of those things. I pray for all of those things. And uh, when I got word that I had cancer, I certainly really coveted your prayers for me during that time. And, 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 and who would ever deny I mean, who would ever deny us praying for little Abby Riggs as she goes through her fight with leukemia? and uh, just goes through some of the most horrible treatment processes you can imagine. But what is one common thing about all of those? If you'll notice, they're all in the physical realm. They're all in the physical realm. Now, even Paul prayed over physical needs, if you look in chapter two, verses 26 and 27, he talks about Epaphroditus who was a fellow worker and fellow soldier with Paul. And notice he says he was longing for you all, the Philippians, and he was Epaphroditus was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was even sick to the point of death. They were worried Paul was and, and they were, that Epaphroditus might die, but he says, God had mercy on him and not only on him only but also on me, Paul says, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. And I can guarantee you when Epaphroditus was sick, Paul was praying for him and so were the Philippians. But when Paul prays for the believers, he goes deeper than that. I want to look at books on either side of the book of Philippians for just a moment. Turn with me to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. And I want us to look at a couple of Paul's prayers that are recorded for us for the Ephesian believers. And as we do this, we want to be thinking about, what do I pray for other people? I want you to notice um, chapter 1, verse 16. He says, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened and that you will know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. Look at chapter 3 and verse 16. In verse 14 he says, I bow my knees before the heavenly Father, and I pray, verse 16, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. It's just different than the way that we commonly pray for one another. Look back at the book of Philippians again at, at verses 9 through 11. What's he praying for other believers? Verse 9, I, I pray this, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God." What we're going to see as we look at these verses in the next few minutes is how to fortify our prayers. And here's the way this works physical issues, which are worthy of being prayed about, there's one thing about physical issues, and that physical issues are temporary. Spiritual development is permanent, it is permanent. Spiritual development pays dividends when times are good and when times are hard. Now, I want to say this again because I want to make this very, very clear about what I'm not saying. I'm afraid people are going to come out of here and saying, Bruce is saying that if you pray for physical dimension things, that's wrong. I'm not saying that, okay? I am not saying that. What I am saying is, based on Paul's example, if we're going to fortify our prayers, if we believe those prayer sayings, then we need to go deeper when we pray for one another. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you prayed for another believer in the spiritual dimension of things? When was the last time? What we're gonna do is highlight four things that Paul prays for these believers, and we'll try to unpack them a little bit. The first one he prays for them, see the first of verse nine, is that their love would abound. He says, I'm praying for you that your love abounds. He's not praying for superficial emotionalism or some sort of shallow sentimentality. He says, I am praying your love abounds. And the word love here is that common word in the New Testament, agape, A-G-A-P-E. And agape is giving love rather than receiving love. Agape love is love in action. In fact, when you go to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians and you see agape love defined. It's all verbs because this kind of love is love in action. I like to call it Calvary love because that's what God did. He took action and came down and died on that cross for you and for me. He's saying, I'm praying that your love abounds, I want you to to turn with me to the book of Colossians, and chapter number 3. And and I want you to just see that this is a fairly common prayer of Paul for the believers. Chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, "'So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, There's some spiritual clothes that we're to be putting on in our life. We're to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're to be bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive others. And then he says in verse 14, And beyond all of that, what I want you to put on is I want you to put on love, put on agape, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now I have shared with you before a biblical definition of what agape love really is, and it's this. It's a commitment of my will to your needs and best interest regardless of the cost. A commitment of my will to your needs and best interest regardless of the cost. And he says, I am praying that your agape would abound. The picture is like like having a geyser of it just flowing out of our life, that it would flow wave after wave out of our life, that it would just cascade from us. When he says, I am praying that your love would abound, I think he's really saying that you would be generous in agape towards others. Go two books to the right from Philippians to 1 Thessalonians and chapter number 3. And I want you to see a a, a similar statement that is made in verse 12. He says in verse 12 of chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another but don't stop there, but also in love for all people. Not just in the believing family, but for everyone. Why? Because people matter. People matter. And I want you to know something. When a church loses sight of that, that people matter, trouble Bruise. You see, the enemy will try to get people, even in the church of Jesus Christ, to buy into selfishness and pride. And when a church loses sight of the fact that people matter, it will sidetrack the leaders. And we've heard stories of what's going on in some churches, and you're going to hear more of them. But I guarantee you that a big part of what happens when leaders get sidetracked like that is they lost sight of the fact that people matter and they get involved in selfishness and pride. When, when a church loses sight of the fact that people matter, Satan is going to introduce bickering and disunity into the body. And you know what happens? The church's effectiveness is just submarined. And I've been around long enough now, over several decades, I could list the churches. I've watched this happen in this community. People matter. And he says, my prayer for you is that your love, your agape, would abound. That just waves would come out. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to wrestle with this for a moment. And the question is this. When you think about that definition, a commitment of my will to your needs and best interest, regardless of the cost, how many people do you relate to in that way? How many people do you love in that way? You know, a good exercise to do from time to time is to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7, where it describes what love is, what agape is, and, and in place of the word love, just put your own name in there. Love is patient, love is kind, so forth. Put your own name in there. Bruce is patient, and Bruce is kind. I'm praying for you, he says, that your love would abound. It's a great thing to pray. Would you pray that for me? There's a second thing he prays for them, and that is that they would discern wisdom. We see that at the end of verse 9, in the beginning of verse 10, that this would happen in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Excellent. Let's just break down some of those terms. He said, I'm praying that it would be in real knowledge, that there would be clear thinking, that would be consistent with the principles of God's Word. That's what I'm praying for you. And that it would be in all discernment, the NIV says, in depth of insight. His prayer for them, I believe, is that they would have a proper appraisal of reality, that they would have insight for everyday living. And then there's an aim in verse 10. So that you may appraise, the NIV says, discern the things that are excellent. The NIV says the things that are best. Men and women, this prayer to pray for other believers that they would discern wisdom is just so needed in the church today that we would pray for one another, that we would have The wisdom to discern right from wrong. To discern the difference between that which is healthy and that which is unhealthy, both in the physical realm and the spiritual realm. That we would have the wisdom to know the difference between what is vital and what is trivial. Between what is decent and what is indecent. Between what is loving and what is unloving. Between what is important and what is merely urgent. Or what is important would be something that God says has a priority. What is urgent is what the pressure is from other places for us to do. It's so needed that we would be prayed for, that we would know the difference between what is wise and what is unwise. I like to call this godly common sense. And Man, we need people who would pray that for us. Pastor Mark... um, this last week mentioned a book to me. <clears throat> the title of the book is The Best Question Ever. It's written by Andy Stanley, and it's a, it's a book basically that takes um, Ephesians 5.15 and develops that concept where it says, be careful how you walk, how you live your life, not as unwise but as wise. And part of what he does in that book is he talks about a tendency that we often have, and that is that we want to flirt to see how close we can get to doing something that is wrong without actually doing it or without having the consequences of having done it. It's a little bit like if you think about this as the edge of a cliff, and what we tend to do in our spiritual life is we, we like to walk as close to the edge as we can, thinking we're going to avoid going over But the trouble is, when you're very close to the edge, it's actually very easy to slip and to trip, and suddenly you've gone over the edge. And part of what he's trying to say in this book is, what we need to do is we need to develop wiser, safer choices in the moral realm. Instead of going right to the edge, you see, if I take several steps back and I say, you know, wisdom would say, I'm not going to get any closer than this. The chances of me going over the edge are greatly minimized. So that's part of what he develops in the book. And he says that we need to apply the, the choice of wisdom relationally and financially and professionally and, and spiritually. And then he gives these three questions that, that you could ask. And one would be like, in light of my past experience, what would be the wise thing to do? In light of some of the weaknesses and mistakes that I've made in the past, what would be the wise thing to do? And you know, there are people who have come out of uh, alcoholic addiction. My brother-in-law is one of them. You know, at one point, a a raging alcoholic consuming several cases of beer a day. Now, when it comes to the subject matter of beer, he could say, you know what? I'm going to walk right up to the edge and I'm going to still have beer in the fridge. But you know what? He said, I'm not going there because I don't want to go over the edge. So he's taken several steps back and he says, for me, no beer will be purchased. See, that's the idea. In light of past experience, maybe some mistakes that we've made and some failures, what was the wise thing to do? And then another question is, in light of my current circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? You know, should I spring to buy this or to buy that as I look at my current financial situation and how much debt I'm in? What's the wise thing to do? And then another question, in light of my future hopes, What's the wise thing to do? Some of us are saying, you know, when I get married one day, I want to just have this dynamic relationship. Well, if that's true, maybe in light of the future kind of a marriage you want to have, instead of going right up to the edge as you're dating, maybe you say, I'm going to stay several steps back because I don't want anything to happen in my dating arena that's going to affect my future goals. Great book. Great book. It's going to go directly into the light source. Tremendous stuff there. He said, Paul does. I'm praying that you would discern wisdom. It's a great thing to pray. Would you pray that for me? His prayer for them is that their love would abound, that they would discern wisdom. And thirdly, he prays that they would live authentically. We see that at the end of verse 10 and then into verse 11. He says, to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. That word in verse 10, you would be sincere, the NIV, I think translates it pure. Literally, it means unmixed, (laughs) that our life would be unmixed, that it would be genuine. It reminds me of the acronym W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G. Those of you who know a thing about computers would know that stands for what you see is what you get. That's what he was praying for these believers. That would be true of your life. What you see is what you get. That we're not different with different crowds of people. You know, where we're one way at home and another way when we're around the church folks. Or we're one way around the church folks, but we're, whoa, very different when we're at school or when we are at work. In fact, one of the greatest compliments I receive is when people say to me, Bruce, you're just the same wherever you are. And I'm going, yes, what you see is what you get. That's part of what he was praying. He's praying that you would be blameless. Literally it means without stumbling, that there's no skeletons, there's, there's no secret life going on. When your family's gone, Things are different, or when your roommates have gone to bed, then suddenly, whoa! And then he goes on in verse eleven, and he says, "Having been filled." Little technical information here. This is a a perfect passive participle. What does that mean? It means that you don't do it; you receive the action. That we allow the Holy Spirit to have full access into our life. That there's not any private rooms that we keep him out of. Don't get into that arena of my sex life. Don't get into that arena of my financial life. No, we're full access that he has. We have been filled with the fruit of righteousness. And then um, I like the New Living Translation here. It says filled with those things that are produced in your life by Jesus Christ. And that would include godly character as it talks about in Galatians 5, and 23. And I think it would include good deeds. It's part of the fruit. As it says in Colossians 1.10, bearing fruit in every good work. His prayer for them is that they would live authentically. It's a great thing to pray. Would you, would you pray that for me? He prays that their love would abound, that they would discern wisdom, that they would live authentically. And then he prays, that they would honor God and you see that at the end of verse 11 to the glory and praise of God and those similar phrases appear in Paul's writing in chapter 1 of Ephesians verse 6 he talks about to the praise of the glory of his grace in chapter 1 of Ephesians verses 12 and 14 to the praise of his glory to the praise of his glory for some Nearly 30 years now, I sign letters. If You get a letter, you'll notice there's a signature line that I have. And that signature line is, to the praise of His glory. See, every time I'm signing a letter, it is a reminder to me that I am to honor God. And that's what we're called to, men and women. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.20. He says, You have been bought with a price, that cross. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Honor Him. He would pray for them that they would honor God. It's a great thing to pray. Will you you pray that for me? Now, let me ask you, would that fortify your prayer life? If you start praying for other believers? Prayer changes things. God answers knee-mail. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. The greatest gift we can give to others is our prayers. We pray that their love would abound and that they would discern wisdom, that they would live authentically, and that they would honor God. Now, as we are prone to do, we, we don't want to be guilty of what James talks about, and that is we look at the Word of God and then we just walk away from the Word of God. So we like to talk about some life response we can have, and I want to suggest two that we can do this week. Number one, practice love towards one person. Identify one person and you're going to put it into practice, a commitment of my will to your needs and best interest, regardless of the cost. And that might mean that you call someone, it might mean that you write someone a note, it might mean that you take someone out to a meal, it might mean that you help with a need in some way. Sam Gordon tells a story that happened a number of years ago on a bitterly cold day in February in New York. And if you've ever been to New York in February, it can be very, very cold. on that day, there was a little boy standing barefoot on a cold day in front of a shoe store in New York. And there was a woman riding in, you know, you go to New York and you see these carriages that, that you can often ride in. And so this woman is riding in, the, in one of those kind of carriages and she sees a little boy barefoot in front of a shoe store. And so she stops and she gets out from the carriage and she goes over to the boy and she says, Why, why are you looking so earnestly into that window? And the little guy said, I was asking God to give me a pair of shoes. He shivered while he said that. So the woman took him by the hand and, and went into the store. And she asked the proprietor there for half a dozen uh, pairs of socks. And she also asked for a little basin of warm water and a towel. And um, the guy brought him over to her. She took the boy into the back of the store removed her gloves, knelt down, and washed the little boy's grimy feet and then dried them with the towel. And then she had him put on a pair of socks and then going to the front of the store, she bought him a pair of shoes. And as they parted, she said to him, I hope you're a little more comfortable now. And he caught her hand and with tears in his eyes, He said to her, are you God's wife? And men and women, the amazing thing is that we have an opportunity when when we minister agape love to people, we are really the very hands and arms and relatives of Christ. Second life response we can have, and that is this, to pray for three others this week. to pray for three others this week. Who do you lift up in prayer? Who do you pray for that their love would abound, that they would discern wisdom, that they would live authentically and they would honor God? I want you to think of three people and I want you to pray for them this week. And if you're unsure of who the three should be, include me. Let's pray together. Father, again, we want to thank you for just reminding us of the example of Paul and how he wanted us to do as he did, which is really doing what Christ did. And Jesus prayed this way for others. And I would pray you'd call us up to deepen our prayer life. And I don't know what would happen to us as a church family. If we were all praying these kinds of prayers for each other, but I do know it would be magnificent and the world would take notice. We pray that that would begin with us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.